welcome to the Nerd Party. Greetings, fellow rogues, and welcome to Great Shot Kid on the Nerd Party Network, the podcast that is dedicated to studying the works of Star Wars creators, uh, both inside and outside the franchise. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we were planning something else, but uh, like the rest of the world, we have uh, decided to take a pause. And this week, we're going to be looking back on the career of Carrie Fisher, the beloved actress who played princess slash general leia uh in the star wars films and uh look at her career both as an actress as a writer as a script doctor and as a uh, a beloved raconteur on the circuit for conventions so uh i think probably the best way to start it off mike is to go ahead and ask um i mean you know, everybody sort of remembers where they were when a celebrity or some other notable figure that uh, has played a role in their their life in some way uh, passes on. Do you remember uh, where you were when the news broke, how you found out? Yeah, I do remember where I was. I was at work and I got a text from you saying, so should we uh, cover Carrie Fisher next week on Great Shot Kid? And I was like, shit. I think that's yeah. what I texted you. I texted you shit. And then, yes. <laughs> and then I looked at the news, and sure enough, you know, she had passed away. So. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was actually, at the time I sent that to you, I was uh, on a family trip. I was riding uh, shotgun in the family minivan. And, uh, of course, she'd already had the heart attack, but, you know, I, I mean, she'd gone to the hospital and they'd said, oh, well, she's not critical. Now she's in stable condition. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the news break on, uh, I, I happened to, of course, check Twitter while I was sitting there. And uh, I just just sort of took a breath and I said, oh, no. And yeah. I told my wife and then I sent you that text. And, uh, yeah, so not very exciting i guess to be sitting in a minivan but you know yeah i mean that's where i was i it was it was weird because i had been planning um a family outing to go see rogue one that night you know oh wow so we all you know met up at the theater and by that point you know all of us knew or whatever and you know i had seen the movie and so had my wife but you know the rest of the people there had not seen it yet you know so yeah when I'm going to just assume that everyone has seen Rogue One, okay? It's made about half a billion dollars. (laughs) I think it's a fair assumption that anybody listening to Great Shot Kid by this point has probably seen it. So go ahead and speak about the movie freely. And if you haven't seen it yet, if you are living on a cave on Mars, and no, you know what? It doesn't count as a spoiler because almost all of the articles discussing Carrie Fisher's passing have mentioned Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. uh, For what you're about to drop. So go ahead. Yeah, you know, when that last shot, you know, came up, you know, there was like an audible gasp in the theater, you know, I mean, and that scene definitely plays differently now than it did, you know, a week ago, you know, especially since, you know, her one line is, you know, hope, you know, that kind of thing. 
So yeah, yeah, it's it's really sad. Uh, it is. Uh, you know, uh, to relate to that, my uh, cousin actually saw Rogue One after Carrie Fisher had uh, had died, and said that she got choked up at the end, mm-hmm. seeing her on screen and saying to herself, "Oh my gosh." You know, like it, she said, it was at that moment that she really realized she was never going to see like a new, you know, she wasn't thinking, of course, of episode eight where everything's been done already. But she, you know, it's sort of like sunk in for her. She's like, this is it. This is the end. Yeah. And I, I think that probably resonates. I think you're right with a lot of people when they see it now of, oh, gosh, she's really gone. Yeah. Yeah. So uh... that's, uh, you know, it is a bummer. I, w- I will say that. um Part of the reason we're doing this show, though, is because she was a lot more than Princess Leia. I mean, Princess Leia is going to be on her tombstone. <laughs> like, that is that is what people know her for. There's no problem with that. There's no shame in that. And I'm not throwing shade on anybody that remembers her only as that. But we want to open up her career to everybody on here. And, uh, I, you know, I think the first thing to look at, because it's still tied to... Uh, the movie industry is her second career as a script doctor, a yeah. sought-after script doctor, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, she was she was in very high demand. Um, she she's talked about how you know she got her start doing that after writing um, postcards from the edge, uh, which is based on uh, her her novel by yes. the, by the same name. Um, and, and that, that movie, uh, which I did just watch for the first time a couple of days ago. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you're, if you're, uh, interested in, in Carrie Fisher, I mean, it, I definitely watch Postcards from the Edge because it's semi-autobiographical and, you know, having read and, and seen a bunch of stuff recently with her talking about her life, it's blatantly obvious that she basically just changed the name of herself and her mom and yeah. put it up on the big screen, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I I don't think... I think that it's, you know, semi-autobiographical in the same way that uh, Almost Famous, a.k.a. Untitled, is, you know, semi-autobiographical for Cameron Crowe and that most of it happened and it was pretty much just modified to fit into a dramatic narrative. Yeah. But... um you know, it, it that movie which she wrote for for Mike Nichols, you know, the guy who directed The Graduate and you know a million other movies. Yeah, N- Nichols delivered a lot of very. Uh, uh, he had a body of work that very much focused on the uh, the zeitgeist of of that generation. Absolutely. Yeah, and and surely you know it's one of the best filmmakers ever, right? So he he read the book and you know I guess wanted Fisher to adapt it herself which she did under much stress, you know, I mean, she's talked about like, you know, the fact that she, she had, it was hard, you know, it's really hard writing a movie. And even when it's based on your own work and your own life. And she said that, you know, it it got to a point where she thought she had to have someone come in and, you know, finish it off or whatever, but she did it herself. And, you know, it was very well received. And based on that script, uh, Spielberg, asked her to come on and do some work on the the Tinkerbell character in Hook. Yeah, it's very interesting because I think that speaks to as as well sort of the situation that a script doctor often finds themselves in where they're not necessarily given the chance to improve everything about a movie. They're brought in for a very specific purpose. And in that case she was brought in, I believe 
her own words were along the lines of, you know, they needed somebody who could write a female character. And so her being female and a writer, they said, hey, you know, you could do this. It seems like that happened a lot with her career. You know, you hear them talk about her doing that, you know, for things like Mr. and Mrs. Smith and... uh, Lethal Weapon 3. She apparently recrafted Rene Russo's entire character uh, Mm -hmm. to to work better and make her more human, I guess. And you know what? Honestly, I'll say hats off because Rene Russo's character was pretty great in Lethal Weapon 3. I was a big fan of that. Yeah, that that was the Lethal Weapon movie I liked. And... um, (laughs) And you the know, first Mr. and the third. Well, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> and and Mr. and Mrs. Smith is a fantastic movie with a fantastic script by Simon Kinberg, the uh, co-creator of Star Wars Rebels, who also um, supposedly wrote the Boba Fett movie, which supposedly is going to be made at some point. And um, you know, that, that's it's really interesting because like there's this thing if if you haven't seen it. Definitely check out. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. There's a, uh, a TV show. It was called Dinner for Five, which yes. uh, was on like the Independent Film Channel, where John Favreau would get like four other people from the industry to just sit down, have dinner, and just talk about their careers, about whatever they want to talk about. And there's an episode with uh, Carrie Fisher, along with Ed Begley Jr. and Ed Asner. You know, she's in that and, and, you know, they talk about her being a script doctor a lot in in that episode. And, uh, you know, she describes how, you know, sometimes it's really hard because they just say, like, make it better. But sometimes, like with Hook, you know, it's easy to do or it's at least uh, like a fun challenge because they say, like, this is a specific problem that we, we want you to address, you know. Right. And she, she's like, you know, that I can manage, you know, that kind of thing. But, yeah, she's worked on tons of movies. I mean, Hook, you know, was, was the first, but, you know, Sister Act, uh, Last Action yeah. Hero. You know, and I want to take a pause there with Last Action Hero because I think that, again, that speaks to another aspect of being a script doctor is that movie was legendarily troubled. Like, mm-hmm. I, she was one of many people brought in to try to write that that sinking ship because they were on, I mean, really what undid last action hero was they were desperate to throw something up against Jurassic park, which was a giant mistake. Um, they actually sped that up on McTiernan and which is why there were so many un, like half finished effects shots in it. Do you remember that originally they were going to have essentially a billboard for last action hero painted on the side of the space shuttle? I do not remember that. Apparently they were going to do that. I doubt it at all. And then they, at the last minute, they decided not to. I don't know if it's because of the paint. I mean, like you know how, like if you look at old footage of the space shuttle, the uh, jet pack the is is white. Yeah. And then afterwards it was orange. You know why that is? Uh, No, I don't know why that is. Because they painted it white to make it look cool, and then they did the math, and they're like, we can save this many thousands of dollars on fuel. If we don't paint the thing and oh, add yeah, all that weight. weight to it, no kidding. Yeah, that's Isn't that pretty crazy? awesome. Those no, NASA I, I guys, never... you know, they're they're smart. They 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 know they they're, they're pretty smart. They can figure stuff out. They can figure some stuff out. Yeah, I think they cheat and use calculators though. But not even they could figure out the problems with Last Action Hero. There were too many problems with Last Action Hero, and, and uh, the 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 yeah. the, uh, the the. 
uh, portrayal of of film projection not <laughs> not very accurate. Well, I'm still looking for the magic ticket personally. Yeah. I I feel a little cheated that I've gone to a lot of movies and never once gotten a magic ticket. I mean, there is some good stuff in that movie. You know, on the whole, I would say it's it's a, a movie which is good enough to warrant viewing. It's good enough to view as a curiosity to to sort of like analyze something where you're not going. You're, I think that Last Action Hero is the type of movie viewing that you can sort of dispassionately. It's it's like watching a football game when you don't care about either team. You, no, you can I mean, analyze the plays a lot better. There's some like individual moments in there which are just like great, you know. And then there's other things which are just absolute garbage on the whole it's not very good but it has enough little itty bitty bits in it that are you know worthy of of viewing what's a shame is the uh, mini disc man never really caught on after last action hero yeah although you know know. a bit of trivia last action hero is the first uh, movie with sdds digital sound sony dynamic digital sound of all of my friends only you would know that (laughs) And I yeah, actually, I'm, gl- I'm glad that you do. STDS I, was a, a hell of a format. You had five channels in the front, two in the back, and the sub. Oh, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. SDDS was a good a good sound system. I mean, it was no THX, but you know, that's well, cool. THX was a it was a, a certification. It was like THX had an 800 number, so you could complain too. Yes, that yes, was very good. Yes, but it would be it would be like THX is like the good housekeeping seal of approval. So like yeah. if you saw like an SDDS movie on THX certified equipment, yeah, like that would be the best. Which is that's how I saw the uh, the special editions. By the way, they use SDDS. The problem with yeah. SDDS is that they put the soundtrack on the edges of the film where they were very, very easily damaged and stopped working uh, for extended periods of time. But this has nothing to do with Carrie Fisher, who did not mix the sound for Last Action Hero. That's true. She didn't mix the sound for Last Action Hero, but those sound problems affected the bits of script that she wrote that made it to to the final product. And the thing is, you know, to, to speak to that, you know, I think Last Action Hero, there were a ton of people that went on it, and one of the reasons Carrie Fisher stopped doing script doctoring is she said that they basically figured out how to bring somebody in, get their ideas, and then say, no, we're going to go with somebody else. And, you know, I you have to give hats off to her, uh, you know, because she, she said, I'm not going to do that. And, yeah. you know, granted, she's in a financial position where she can just step back and say, no, you guys go ahead, do what you want to do. But she had the integrity to say, you know, this isn't giving me any sort of satisfaction now, and I know that you're potentially robbing my ideas, so I'm done. And, yeah. I, you know, it, it indicates a nice level of integrity on her part, I think. Mm-hmm. And and she did write a bunch of stuff uh, for herself as well. I mean, I guess the, the one thing that we should note, the movies, which for some reason we haven't even mentioned, that she did yeah. do work on uh, uncredited uncreditedly well was, uh, that she never directly addressed there were there's only one time she really admitted to it wasn't it it was only wasn't it like only one off where she was like yeah i did that and they what was it i don't moving. know i mean it's been such a, a prominent thing that i I, th- I think it's pretty well established that it happened yeah. she she uh did work on the prequels episodes yes, one two and three yep and i think that that's really interesting because you know lucas I mean, it's it's kind of great that, you know, he wasn't 
you know, he didn't just put her in the Princess Leia box. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, he, he uh, yeah. He he hired her to write an episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yes. Which, from what I remember, is one of the good episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, of course, you know, he hired her to, to do work on, on the prequels, which is, is really, really fascinating. I mean, I love the idea that he's like, yeah, let's get Princess Leia to do some rewrites on these prequels. I, you know, that stuff like that is always fascinating, too, because um, Lu- Lucas has always had, you know, people working in the shadows. He had uh, Hoyk and Katz, you know, polish yeah. the dialogue on the original. And De Palma helped with, you know, with certain things and everything like that. But to bring Fisher in in specific, I think, is also an acknowledgement. I mean, yeah, she's not in the Princess Leia box, but he trusted her. He knew that she understood what he was trying to do because she'd been through it with him. Yeah. And he said he, I mean, imagine the amount of trust that's there where he's willing to give over because he's, you know, notoriously uh, possessive of his, of his artistic works. He gave her enough access to say, go ahead and, and play with this, see what you can do. Yeah. Which he didn't do for a, a lot of people. I mean, those, those movies, it was it was a very tight knit group. It was mainly people who were coming off of Young Indiana Jones, right? You know, from the production all the way through, you know, even to people in front of the camera, and uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Episode Two is credited as being co written by Jonathan Hales, right? Yes, but uh, the other ones are just credited to Lucas himself, and you know, yeah, I mean, well, which is, which I think is something. I mean, and obviously. You know, you possess a little more knowledge of the workings of this sort of thing, but I'm I've I'm always curious as to like how much you know. I, I mean, I guess it just depends on the agreement that they sign with the director. I mean, at what point does the Writers Guild step in and say Carrie Fisher's done a lot of work on these prequels and her name des- deserves to be on the credits? I mean, I think the Writers Guild steps in whenever a writer goes to them looking for credit. You know. I think like if there is like an agreement or whatever and you know Carrie Fisher's like I don't want my name on this movie and Lucas is like I don't want your name on this movie either then it's just like okay that's fine but I think if Carrie Fisher were to say like I have a case here she right. would go to the writers guild and then there's like all sorts of arbitration and everything like that and you know I mean they have like committees who look at these things and stuff and I forget like you know they there are like breakdowns in terms of percentages but there's also things like it's not just you know dialogue you know it can be other things you know beyond but but see here here's what's really interesting about that is that triggers a memory because i went to celebration two and uh the uh, hales was there Mm -hmm. and i you know of course sat in on his panel i I, i'm not gonna miss that Uh, it was surprisingly one of the more sparsely attended panels. I don't I was, understand yes, that at all. I wanted to stand outside in the hall. What is wrong with you people? The yeah. writer is in here. But he uh, uh, he mentioned, you know, because you're talking about, you know, going to the Writers Guild and everything. Somebody asked him because he had written uh, or co-written Scorpion King. Yeah. And he appar- he said that he wanted to get his name off of it. But because people were sort of giving him static, saying, "Oh, you know, you wrote the Scorpion King. Are you really blah blah?" You know, they're they're sort of giving him trouble. Which you know, you know. Then I'm also in the room looking at these people, thinking, "What what have you written? What yeah. what 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 has become a hit for you? Please share this with me." Yeah. But he tried to get his name taken off of 
Scorpion King. And his agent, apparently, uh, according to him, his agent said to him, no, 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 no. You want to make the money on this one. And like, yeah. and apparently it was just a, a financial thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, I think the case lots of times. It, it's, it's interesting though, because Carrie Fisher was somebody who didn't shy away from the spotlight to her credit, used the spot, the spotlight to bring attention to, you know, mental health issues, issues of addiction. She was very upfront. I mean, you know, going all the way back to postcards from the edge and then she writes wishful drinking yeah. And of course, uh, the Princess Diarist just came out. Yeah, you know, she's always been very, very comfortable. I mean, not, I don't want to say comfortable, but she's accepted that she's always going to have that spotlight on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, I did have the pleasure of seeing her speak at a convention. Um, I guess for ce- for Celebration Three or something like that. And she was somebody who was so completely aware of why everybody was paying attention to her. That she she had this weird uh, charisma of, okay, fine, we know why I'm here. Let's have fun with it. And it, you know, it was really, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it was good to see. Um, but you know, she she, you know, I, th- my whole point is like she was comfortable with the spotlight. She was there in the spotlight, but she wasn't somebody who said, okay, fine, but I'm going to get a credit. Yeah. You know, a lot of people didn't even know about her script doctor work you know, even until the prequels because it leaked out that she had, you know, she, she had worked on it and everyone, wait, what? And then you find out that she has this long history of being one of the people they called to, to do things. So she was, you know, I mean, I, I think that indicates a, you know, a, like a baseline where she was comfortable just being an artist as opposed to a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, she found a, a niche outside of, you know, what her original, um, you know, claim to fame or, or claim to, uh, income was, you know, I mean, she, she didn't settle for being an actress, you know, if that's, I mean, not, not that being an actress is settling, but you know, she, she felt other creative, uh, outlets could help her express herself better than acting. And she, she took advantage of those, you know? Now I I do want to mention, uh, actually another show here on the network, Missing Frames just, uh, covered Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to look back at her at her acting because I know for me, being a child who was growing up through the 80s, who saw all the original Star Wars movies on screen and everything like that, I remember uh, seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time and feeling uh, odd and betrayed in a sense when I saw Harrison Ford kissing somebody other than Carrie Fisher. <laughs> it, like that, that, was, that, was, that was something to handle when you were like seven years old. It's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? No, no, no. This Princess Leia, no, this is happening? Um <laughs> No, seriously, I dead yeah. honest reaction right there. No, I can see that. Uh, but she, she, she was so different. Like I remember it being mind blowing when I saw Blues Brothers for the first time. Wait, that's that's Princess Leia. What? And she she embraced the. I, I think she was really. I think she was a really gifted comic actress. Now, granted, in Blues Brothers, she plays a very, a very heavy sort of role. But you know she had other comic roles that were, you know, she, pretty darn she, good. She plays a heavy role in Blues Brothers, but it's done very much to comedic effect. Like she knows oh, yeah, exactly no, yeah. how to play it. And yeah, I mean, I think that she is someone who is much more of a comedian than anything else. I mean, she was like, if I'm not mistaken, the head writer on the Oscars for two two different years. You That's know? true. She was. You're absolutely right. She was. A, she was a head writer on the Oscars. 
Not probably, to mention, I mean, probably look, two of the years where I actually laughed. <laughs> not to mention, like you, you look at like Wishful Drinking, which is her her one woman show, which you know was then later up a special on HBO, which you can you can watch on the HBO app and everything like that. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I watched it and. It it was awesome. It's hilarious, yeah. you know? I mean, just very simple, just her up on stage with, like, a couple of visual aids, you know, walking around in her, you know, slippers, you know, basically in her pajamas, you know, just very, yeah. very comfortable. And it's hilarious and completely self-deprecating and uh, very, very, very funny and insightful, you know? I mean, it's not like it's just jokes for joke's sake. I mean, she's got something important to say i well i haven't seen it i would imagine that it's probably a similar experience to shatner's one-man show that he did yeah i'm not doing that i'm not doing that in any way to like lower her like i haven't seen that performance the one i have seen i would imagine it's in the same sort of vein as that where you get a couple of laughs out of it but it's a poignant look back on on a life that's had some you know ups and downs to it yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, she says like her big thing in the in the show, which she says is like, um, I th- I, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's something along the lines of, you know, comedy is tragedy plus time, you know? Yeah. It's like if you wait long enough, something that's sad becomes funny, you know? And yeah. she she gets into that. I mean, she gets into some really serious stuff, but she does it in a very amusing way. Yeah, I mean, she was she was a survivor in every sense of the word. Yeah. And, you know, I I mean, one of the things that is that I think is true, that is a little bit tough to say, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's an honest emotion with it is she ran with the Belushi crowd back in the 80s. Yeah. John Belushi died of a drug overdose back in the 80s. And like it it really sent a shockwave through the celebrity system. Um, you know, Dan Aykroyd was affected by it, everybody, but, uh, she survived that. And that's really, I mean, kind of what Postcards from the Edge is all about, you know? I mean, it's, it's about an actress played by Meryl Streep, who's very much, you know, the Carrie, the Carrie Fisher role, who has a drug overdose and basically needs to wake up to the fact that, you know, she needs to change her ways otherwise you know she will you know die or you know at the very least you know end her career and it's about basically her having to you know move back in with her mom and sort of deal with that relationship in order to to get through you know her addiction yeah yeah and and the thing is there there's an odd i I remember very much uh debbie reynolds had a a small career renaissance when albert brooks's movie mother came out yeah yeah and if i recall correctly it came out shortly before the special editions and i remember i remember debbie reynolds and carrie fisher being on stage i think for the oscars and debbie reynolds having a zinger where she said you know you're always trying to one-up me and yeah. she said, I, I finally have a comeback with Mother, and you bring your, your space movie back out again, and everybody's talking about you. Yeah, yeah, and you can definitely see that, you know, in the movie, in Postcards from the Edge, and she talks about it a lot in, in Wishful Drinking, you know, and I mean, the, the opposite was definitely true as well. You know, the fact that, you know, her mom was such a huge star, you know, from her 
birth, you know, from yeah. from Carrie Fisher's birth, she, you know, was always trying to catch that, always trying to catch up to it, and she was also dealing with the fact that her mom was jealous of her success, you know, her sure. mom was trying to, you know, and it, it, the the fact that, you know, she's so honest about all this stuff, you know, and and sort of like brings it to the forefront and tr- instead of trying to like, you know, sweep it away, I think is is really interesting. It really speaks to to her and sort of like the honesty of her art, you know, and and the reason yeah. why her writing is so good is because she has something to say and she's going to say it. She's not going to shy away from these issues. She's not going yeah. to, you know, hide them in, you know, some sort of like thinly veiled whatever. You know, right. she's just going to just put them out there. And, you know, by doing that, I think that it, it really sends a signal to other people who may be going through, you know, similar situations that, you know, they don't have to be ashamed of these things. You know, this is something to be embraced because it's, it's, it's a part of, of them, you know, and, and that's like almost as important as what it is she's saying, you know, herself, you know what I mean? I, I do. I completely, uh, understand. I completely agree with you. Um, and, I think that, I mean, inevitably, you we have to look at the fact, like, you know, with, with her acting, eventually she comes back to the shadow she can never escape. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. And it would have been extremely easy for them to just pick up and just say, oh, well, she died between movies. It would have been easy for them to do that with any of the, the three leads, but Abrams makes a decision to bring them back and have them have substantial roles. Yeah. Well, I mean, Luke, not really, but, you know, I, I mean, Han and Leia have substantial roles in The Force Awakens. And, I mean, for me, it was, it, it, like, it was an odd adjustment. Like, you're not used to seeing your hero's age. You, you know, like, we, we all grew up with the original films, and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill all get older in real life. But you can turn back to that movie, and you can see them forever young. Mm-hmm. Whereas Force Awakens, you know, this is a person who has gotten older and there was no big deal made about it. And what I found refreshing about her appearance in it, there's not that sense of artifice or trying to recapture the youth. It's an acceptance that time has passed. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I like what she brings to the role. And I, I'm guessing you do, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I'm I'm really looking forward to episode eight because they say that her role in that movie is even bigger than it was in episode seven. Which yeah. makes sense, seeing as how, you know, I mean, I think that episode seven was really kind of, you know, in terms of the original three, it was very much, you know, Han Solo's movie. And, and obviously that's yeah not going to be the case in episode eight. Spoilers for episode seven. Um, but <laughs> Again, if you're listening to Great Shot Kid and you haven't seen episode seven by this point. Yeah, that's kind of weird, but you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's I'm I'm glad that we're going to get to see her play Princess Leia one more time. You know, it's you know, it, it's so weird though because I don't remember seeing a whole ton of movies uh, growing up where somebody who was in them had died. It's you rare know, to, to put it to put it bluntly. Well, yeah, but I mean, Dark Knight, Heath Ledger, yeah, uh, Rogue One. Uh, uh, Peter Cushing, <laughs> you know, uh, but, well, yeah. and, you know, arguably and unfortunately now Carrie Fisher. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's such a weird, adjust- it's going to be weird seeing 
her on screen, this time capsule that we have now of her. You know, yeah, the fact that it's like weird. a year after the fact and everything. I mean, yeah. you know, like Anton Yelchin in, in Star Trek Beyond. Oh my gosh, you know, you're right. Yeah. It's like that just happened. You know, I mean, with Paul Walker and, you know, Furious 7, mm-hmm. that was kind of a weird situation where they were still in the middle of filming and there was a lot of, you know, and then obviously they completely altered, you know, the end of that movie to accommodate it. And yeah. I saw a lot of people walking out of Furious 7, you know, with tears in their eyes, you know, sure. because I mean, that, that I was just talking to a woman the other day who's a huge fan of those movies. And she says that she has not been able to bring herself to to watch Furious 7 because she she doesn't think she could handle it, you know, and yeah. With with episode eight, I, I see it being kind of similar to that. It's going to be a year. You know, it's not like this thing. It's not like Rogue One, you know, where it's, it just came out or whatever. Like, yeah. we're not going to see this movie for a year. And that's that's a lot of time to, you know, be thinking about it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and the thing that bothers me is the is that the question is now, it moved very quickly, too quickly for my tastes to talking about and memorializing her into, oh, what's the impact on this movie franchise? In all honesty, I don't care. Yeah. Because quite because of two reasons. One, she's a human being first and foremost. Yeah. And number two, these people are paid to write and rewrite movies and deal with these situations. Yeah. If they can't do this, they're not worth the the two billion dollars that they want to get from everybody. <laughs> I, I'm I'm dead serious about yeah. that. I mean, no, it's, no, it's ridiculous true. to be concerned about these sorts of things. That you know, focus on the person, not on what yeah. the impact is to your beloved childhood trinkets that are being you know trotted out for you. And there's you know, I mean, I, this has happened you know a few times before, and and you know, obviously in the history of movies, and you know the the way that it's been dealt with, you know, in various ways is you know interesting i guess i i always keep on thinking about christopher nolan's comments about you know heath ledger and dark knight rises you know and Mm -hmm. he's talked about how he made a conscious effort to not mention the joker's existence in dark knight rises yeah you know and and the reason for that as he says is because you know heath ledger's death impacted him in such a personal way, you know, uh, beyond, you know, way beyond, you know, the, the, the movies that they, they were making, that he thinks giving a fictional explanation to the reason why Heath Ledger, why the Joker Heath Ledger as a, as a real person is not in this movie as a fictional character, he thinks that that's trivializing his death, you know? So, I, I don't I don't disagree with him. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, I, I always think about that anytime like w- one of these things comes up. And I guess a lot of it depends on the person. You know, I mean, like by all accounts, Paul Walker would have wanted Furious 7 to be finished, you know, and, and that to be sort of like his last piece of art, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in the world of film or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. I think, yeah, like you're saying, people do sometimes get caught up in that. And, you know, I mean, it's natural because, you know, most people 
don't know Carrie Fisher personally. They know her as Princess Leia, you know. Right. They're Star Wars fans, and, you know, obviously this is going to be something which is on their mind because, you know, they spend 24 hours a day obsessing over Star Wars. So, yeah. you know, it, it is naturally going to come up, but obviously it's it's not that important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the very least, we have something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, there there is there is a motion picture memorial to her. The only thing I I hope about it, uh, so to speak, is that you know she came she basically came out of retirement for episode seven, and I I I hope that episode eight really does like it that it is a fitting tribute to her that it's the last it's the last go around. I want this to have the impact that I know she and the the filmmakers were trying to have with her character. I'm confident that they will. Mm-hmm. Um and and it would just be you know at least at least we have that to look forward to. But you know before before we go is there anything any last thoughts anything that we've we've missed? No, I mean I think all I would say is you know just like everyone else I primarily knew Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia and you know that that is obviously a a huge thing. I mean, like I talked to my mom, you know, that night and she's like, oh my God, I just kept on thinking Princess Leia because, you know, going back to, you know, when I first saw that movie when I was two years old, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that Princess Leia was, you know, my first childhood crush, you know, when I was in preschool or whatever. And, you know, obviously these movies being such a heart, a huge part of my life and, you know, Carrie Fisher being such a huge part of these movies, you know, it's it had a, a a big impact on me because, you know, it starts making you think about, you know, your own mortality even, you know. And yeah, I mean, it's it's, you know, really really sad, but at the same time, you know, the thing that that I've discovered over the past few weeks, I think, is a lot more about Carrie Fisher as a person you know I've looked at a lot of her writing I watched Postcards from the Edge I watched Wishful Drinking you know all these things and you know I I always knew that she was talented just by the fact that you know all the top filmmakers in Hollywood kept on paying her to yeah (laughs) to fix their movies there you go (laughs) but you know to see like her stuff her own personal stuff, which, you know, I think she would probably uh, say is is much more important to her than, you know, starring as Princess Leia in, you know, George Lucas's, you know, movies, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. It it really gave me a greater appreciation for, you know, her work as, as an artist herself. And, yeah. you know, she's a, a really freaking good writer. And she's someone who not only, I mean, obviously she has a, a, a good grasp on, the, the technical aspects of, of writing, you know, having been a script doctor for years, but she's also really got something important to say, and she's got a really finely honed way of saying it. And yeah. uh, I, I think that that's really, really impressive. And I, I want to go back and, and watch and read all the things that she's written that I, I haven't seen now. Well, I think that uh, one promise we can make here on on Great Shot Kid is we will get to Carrie Fisher's other works, and we will discuss them on the show. Um, And given the fact that we, I mean, you know, we have been talking about, um, you know, a beloved talent who has now left this earth, uh, 
I think we'll just go ahead and we'll just we'll just close out with where you can reach us uh, online. Mike, where can people reach out to you? Uh, you can find me uh, on on Twitter at at Mumbles Three K. You can find me at Kessel Junkie. Um, and uh, thank you for listening to Great Shot Kid. Thank you for visiting the Nerd Party Network. And uh, we look forward to uh, continuing to bring you the works of uh, Star Wars creators uh, in and out of the franchise. And next week, we will be covering the, uh, I believe the proper word is penultimate episode of uh, Breaking Bad. Technically, it's not. Everyone thinks that because they they showed the last two episodes on one night. But it's actually the third to last, anti-penultimate. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the third to last show of Breaking Bad, the the beloved episode, uh, the the climax of the series, if you will, directed by Ryan Johnson, Ozzy Mendias. <laughs>